um, that our boys are all growing up is they were home the other weekend and um, we'd already gone to bed because we're old now and uh, we go to bed early and the boys are still up wrecking about. Actually, the truth is that's been happening for about 10 years. We've been going to bed earlier than them. But um, <clears throat> we were lying in bed and they were all at home and all I could hear was the chatting and the chat, 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 chatting in the living room downstairs. And it really did fill my heart just hearing them chat to each other and catch up and wind each other up and do all the things that family do when they're all together under the one roof. So I love that, that we're all under, under the one roof in here and we're family and I love hearing the chitter chatter among all of you, so it's a good thing. So welcome to Advent 2019. Jason, would you light the first candle for me? Because I forgot to bring that up and I'm wearing heels and I don't want to get down off the stage and have to get back up again, that is the truth. So Jason's going to light the candle. The other one? That's a glimpse into our home, just right there in that one moment. Thank you, darling, for lighting that, the right candle. <laughs> Welcome to Advent 2019. Um, can I just encourage you, we are going to do um, a Advent devotional. Where, um, you're going to get an email uh, at the start of each week for the four weeks of Advent. And if you haven't already signed up for that online, there would have been an email went out to all of you who we have your emails for. Um, just inviting you to join that. Um, but if we don't have your emails, we can't email you. So if you want to sign up for that devotional, would you meet Sebastian down at the welcome table right down there at the back? There's a wee sign that says welcome. And there's Sebastian waving. If you want to turn around and look at Sebastian, there he is. <clears throat> if you want to just grab, go down, um, fill out your details with him, and then you can sign up for that devotional that'll be going out either later on this evening or tomorrow morning um, for the whole season of Advent. And it's a lovely thing to do. It's a lovely thing to know that we're all joining together and following the same kind of reading program and just of connecting with God. There's a practice in there of how we can connect with God during Advent. Today we launch our new Advent series. And the hope is that we want to connect all of us with God's invitations in our lives. Many of us, even followers of Jesus, we walk through our lives every day unaware that at every moment of the day, we may be, may be exploding with an invitation from the Father. I don't know about you, but on my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, when I'm walking around life, I'm not often aware that actually I could be walking in on invitations from God. Are you? <clears throat> I would love to be. I would love to say that I am, but, but it's all around us every day and every moment. There's these invitations from the Father, and we don't know who he's inviting us, whose lives that he's inviting us into. Who he wants us to see? Who he wants us to care about? Um, we don't realize sometimes that um, we're invited to a peace that we can't explain. That we're invited to, into a love that never fails. That we're invited into hope that doesn't disappoint. And joy that's too immense for words. And this Advent, these invitations are for all of us. So how can we hear them? How can we respond to the Holy Spirit day by day, especially in seasons of maybe you could be going through a season of anxiety in your life, of grief, of distraction. Who's distracted? I am very easily distracted as well. Or anyone else want to admit that? Yeah. <clears throat> we are constantly bombarded with so much information and so much stuff just on the ball that it's so easy to be distracted and hard to concentrate. And even in this crazy Christmas season, 
I don't know about you, but I find that each, each Christmas, each Advent, I have to fight more to find rest. Not so much physical rest. Because once you get the Christmas dinner over, that's kind of me off for a couple of days, and I kind of just lie on the sofa and watch TV, read my book, always get a new book at Christmas, read my book, eat my Toblerone, I'm a happy woman. <clears throat> but what's often harder is to turn this off. What's often harder is actually to turn off the turmoil sometimes in my heart than it is to take physical rest. But with the Holy Spirit and with God in our lives, we have an opportunity to live differently. We don't have to live our lives the same way as all of those around us. <clears throat> this is the first Sunday of Advent, and today is Hope Sunday. And there's an old saying that while there is life, there is hope. But as one writer put it, the more profound truth is that while there is hope, there is life. Take away hope, and you take away life. Life without hope is reduced to mere existence. It becomes bleak and drab. Where there is no life and no hope, life becomes a burden. It is just purely survival. <clears throat> we human beings only live, I mean really live, when we have hope in our hearts. When we can picture a brighter future. And hope is not just a decision we make. We don't wake up tomorrow morning and decide, today I'm going to have hope. It is something that is wired into us. It's something that, that either um, our lives have, have caused us to live in a way that, that we feel hopeless or our circumstances that we've found ourselves in. But it's a way that we're wired. And, and the hope that I have for us this morning and what I want to lead us to is that we can be rewired this morning by the Holy Spirit towards hope. We can be rewired. It doesn't matter how you've been wired up to this moment. It doesn't matter what circumstances have brought you to this place, maybe of hopelessness. The Holy Spirit this morning wants to rewire you towards hope. So that's where we're heading. <clears throat> Advent is an invitation to hope from the Holy Spirit. An invitation to be rewired, to carry hope in our hearts, not just for ourselves, but for every single person that we will come in contact with. As we look around us in the world at the minute, you can see that so much that it's a loss of hope that fuels so much rage in countries and cities right across the world. You just turn on your news and you see those things. And I think it's the loss of hope that is often the foundation of substance abuse and mental health crisis. I think that it is the loss of hope and trying to survive in an over-anxious world that has seen the frightening rise of mental health illnesses among our children and young people. Have you ever sat and chatted? I have. I've sat and talked to a young person who maybe in their early teens already feels hopeless. There's something so broken about our world that that's what they would feel like. <clears throat> in a time in their lives when they should be looking to the future with hope in their hearts, with expectation, they're already feeling that there's no hope. I think it is a loss of hope that is really at the foundation of midlife crises. And I'm not looking up at anyone, right? Especially not my handsome husband who turns 49 on Thursday. <clears throat> You're not having a midlife crisis, darling. But when we get to middle age, we often look at life and we evaluate whether we have accomplished the goals that we set out to achieve when we were younger. And even if we have feel that, well, well, do you know what? I measured up not too bad. I maybe have achieve what I want to achieve, it's very easy then for, for this feeling of, well, I've done it all now, so I'm just holding on until the end. 
We want to be people who are filled with the hope of the Holy Spirit. We want to be people that are filled with the hope that only can come from God. A hope that completely changes not just our outlook, but how we actually live our lives day by day. Turn in your Bible with me to Matthew 1, verse 1. This morning I want to jump in and, and start with a hope that waits. If you need a Bible, there's some up at the front. So if you have a paper Bible, would you show me there? Pamela has one. Pamela, are you at Matthew 1, verse 1? Turn back a page. And then you're at Malachi. And is there a space in the middle? In between Malachi and Matthew, is there a space? Yeah, what is there? Let me see. Is there a blank page that you have beautifully illustrated? <clears throat> just show us that. So this, this just, and if you don't mind showing us your beautiful illustration, just show it. But you have, so there's a blank page between Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and the New Testament. And this blank page represents 400 years of silence. It's so easy just to get to the end of the Old Testament, flip over the page, go straight into the New Testament, and not realize that for 400 years, God was silent. There's this gap, there's this gaping space in the history of God and humanity when God was quiet. The Holy Spirit of God was silent. For 400 years, from the last prophet recorded in the book of Malachi, right through to the beginning of the stories of Jesus. In the 400 years, the Israelites were barely acknowledging God as their God. They had become discouraged, disobedient, and disillusioned, waiting for the glorious future that the prophets had told them about. They would have grown up hearing the stories of the covenants, of the covenants that were made with Abraham, with David. They would have grown up hearing the words of the prophets that were saying that there's a glorious day coming. The Messiah is coming. But for 400 years, there was quiet. There wasn't any more prophets. There was no prophetic voice in Israel. And it would have been hard for them, and they would have tried to keep remembering and keep on holding and waiting and hope that someday, someday their Messiah would come, that the Lord would reestablish his rulership. The prophets spoke of a day when the kingdom would return to Israel, when they wouldn't live under their enemies, whether it was the Babylonians, the Greeks, or the Romans. They spoke of a day of the gospel of the good news, saying that one day, one day, not now, but one day, all your enemies will be defeated. And all the oppressors will be removed. The reality is, in 433 BC, Israel was a small province in the Persian Empire. God hadn't yet come to dwell in their rebuilt temple with the majesty and power that they imagined. So the temple was rebuilt, and they were like waiting for God's presence to come back and fill the temple. The presence of God, if you remember, if any of you have known any of the stories of the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant was in the holy of holiest places in the temple. And only the priests could go in there because that's where God's presence dwelt. But when they rebuilt the temple, did you know that God's presence never came back? There was still this waiting and this waiting for God's presence 
to return to Israel. It didn't get any better. In the silent, gaping space after the book of, of Malachi, historians fill in the gaps for us. So around 175 BC, there was a ruler called Antaeus, and he attempted to completely eradicate the Jews altogether. He destroyed copies of the Torah, um, erecting a statue of God Zeus, and even sacrificing a pig in the temple at Jerusalem. An absolute sacrilege to the Jewish people. By 63 BC, the Romans had taken over Jerusalem, massacred priests as they performed their worship duties, and they entered into the holiest place of the temple, something that the Jews could never forgive them for. The Jewish people were now under the cruel rule of the Roman Empire, and the king that they'd been waiting for seemed far, far away. It was into this silence, this gap, this period of waiting, that God's spirit stirred and hope began to awaken. Into this space, at this pre-appointed time, at the precise moment, the Spirit of God began to stir and speak once again. Over the next few weeks, you are going to hear all the familiar stories of Christmas. Gabriel, that announcement, when Gabriel came to Mary, that was the first breakthrough moment of God speaking again, that he would come and speak we're going to hear about, we'll hear about Gabriel, we'll hear about the angels, the shepherds, the donkey, the wise men, the innkeeper. Is the innkeeper even in the Bible? We talk a lot about him, but I'm not sure if he's actually there. We assume he is, don't we? But all the usual suspects of the story, and of course, Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. But just before all of that, I want you to pause for a moment. I want you to imagine that you're a Jew living in 2,000 plus years ago in, near, in the Near East. And you're a part of Jesus' people. You're a part of the Jews. And you're waiting for the Messiah. You've held on. You're waiting. There's no prophetic confirmation from God. No encouraging words. Just silence. Just silence. And in just the right time, at the moment ordained by God, Jesus comes. Did you know that the geography was just right for Jesus coming? I just learned this this week and it completely blew my mind. So at the time whenever Jesus came, we, before that, about 300 BC, Alexander the Great, I'm giving you a lot of history, I promise I'm not, I'm going to stop with the history in just a minute, but Alexander the Great, 300 BC, he had united a lot of the known world at that time under his tyranny. So he had done that. And then the, the Rome, whenever Rome came in, about three, where did I tell you Rome came? Anyway, 63 BC, whenever Rome came into power, what they started to do was they started to build Roman roads. And what they did is their empire was greater than Alexander's the Great's, but he, they also then created roads that connected up their entire empire so that if they needed to send soldiers somewhere, they were able to send them on the roads. Here's the brilliant part. By the time Jesus had lived his life, had his ministry, died, was resurrected, and had ascended back to heaven, and he was sending his disciples out in the mission saying, go into all the world. Guess what they went on throughout all the world to proclaim the gospel? The Roman roads. God's timing is perfect. Even the geography was set up for Jesus' arrival. It was already. The stage was set for him to come 
the first waiting was over. God speaks, births a son, and the whole of history turns on a pivot. Do you still have hope as you wait? And what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is it a promise from God? Are there hopes and promises that have been deposited in your heart over time by God? Or have you traded his promises for your life for the tarnished promises that the world offers? Do you know the ones that look super shiny on the outside? But within a month, the fake false layers reveals cheap metal underneath. The false promises of popularity. Not saying what you really think or believe because you don't want to offend someone or you don't want to really make those decisions in your life because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want people to think that whatever they're going to think and you don't want to step outside the norm. Or what about the false promise of seeking love at any cost? Settling for less than what God has for you because the loneliness of waiting is crushing you. The promises of God, all of them, too many to mention and give examples of, are worth waiting for. They are worth waiting for. But I need to give you a warning. I need to give you a disclaimer. Sometimes they are not the promises that you wished for. We talked a lot in the past couple of weeks about trust in the context of our money and our finances. But do you believe that what God has for you is enough? Do you believe that the promises and do you trust that the promises that he has for you are worth waiting for? Turn with me to Psalm 33, verses 20 to 22. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. We wait and hope. Hope is all about waiting. Knowing that our Father is good and gives good gifts to his children. What else does hope do? Well, hope perseveres. What do you think, what, do you, what sound do you think hope sounds like? Or what does hope sound like? Might be a better sentence. Anybody want to give me an idea? Shout out. What does hope sound like? <laughs> I like that, Brian. <laughs> You're a very happy man now. You're retired, Brian. I love it. Well, hope sounds like groaning. Groaning. Advent is a time of groaning and waiting, which is why we need hope. Romans 8, this is a longer passage, you might want to turn to it with me. Romans 8, 22 to 27 says this. I'll give you a second to turn. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Labour is a picture of planet Earth right now. And I don't mean the political party. I know we're in the middle of an election campaign, so I'm definitely not talking about political parties. I remember the midwife coming to see me before Caleb was born. Do they still do home visits, Linda? Afterwards, not before. They used to do home visits before. They used to come round, check your house, and check you over to see you were able to bring a baby home, I assume. I don't know what would have happened if you hadn't passed the test. Never thought about that. Anyway, glad I didn't think of that then, 22 years ago. Um, but I remember talking to the midwife, and, um, and she was, it was the first time... Caleb was our first son, so it was my first time having a baby. And I remember her saying, there's a reason it's called labor. She says, it's hard physical work, and it can last a whole day. I was like, oh, happy day. Thanks for that. But she was totally right. Totally right. 24 hours of whatever, giving birth to Caleb. And uh, was about right. And it was certainly hard work. Although Jason did remind me this week that halfway through my labor, I had a chicken dinner. Maybe it wasn't that bad, or else that probably says more about my relationship with food than anything else, that I have to be very, very afraid for me not to be able to eat. But anyway. There is a pain and a groaning. As you see, the planet is writhing. It's like, it's like the, the planet is writhing like a woman in childbirth. When you hear about earthquakes, floods, environmental disasters, the earth is writhing. But because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, the groaning of creation is transformed into labor pains for the birth of a child. Creation is not currently groaning in despair. What we are witnessing is not the groaning of a dying planet revolving around a dying star. Right now, we see the groaning of an expectant mother. The baby is coming. The new creation is about to be born. A new day is dawning. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the creator, is returning to planet Earth. He is bringing with him a new creation, a new world, a renewed world. Advent is not just a season of remembering his first arrival, but it's longing and waiting for his second coming. Some days, some days, you know this, some of you are the same, where you just groan in your spirit and think, come, Lord Jesus, come. Would you come back again? Maybe you're sitting with someone broken and you think, God, they can't take any more of this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Or you look around the world and you see all that's happening, all the disasters and all the turmoil and all the strife and you think, come, Lord Jesus, come. We groan because we long we long for his coming. Or perhaps our groaning is over someone else, like I said, someone we love, and you groan for a son or a daughter, maybe, who's making terrible choices in their lives just now. Or you groan for a parent who is dimming out as a result of dementia. Or you groan for a world in which there is over one billion people live every day in overwhelming poverty and injustice. 
That's one billion people in overwhelming poverty. The actual figure is three billion people who live on less than two dollars a day in the world. And you say, where God? Where are you in all of this? What are you up to while we groan, God? Where are you as we groan and as we wait and as we watch heartbroken at the, the things that unfold around us? What are you doing, God? And this is what the answer is in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit of God himself groans with us. Hope groans and perseverance. Persevering and holding on to the promises, refusing to give up. Hope groans in desperation for change to come. Hope groans when there are no words left and we find that in his great kindness that we don't groan alone. I love that. Is your hope dying this morning? Is your hope dying this morning? You don't groan alone. You don't groan alone. He groans with you. Persevere until you see God break through into your life and your situations. And thirdly, hope does not disappoint. As I prepared um, for today, I realized that out of all the themes of Advent, I found hope the most difficult to talk about. More difficult to talk about than love, joy, or peace. And it bugged me. Right? I'm getting to that age where I'm a wee bit more self-aware, I think. And when something bugs me now, I ask myself, why? I'm thinking, why, is this, why, why am I finding this so difficult? Why am I finding it difficult to speak about hope? Why do I find it such a challenge? And I realized that it's because of past disappointments. If there's one thing that's going to steal your hope, it's disappointment. See, it was easier for me to hope when I was in my 20s. So much easier. I hadn't faced some of the disappointments that I faced. But here's what I know. That I need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and heal my disappointments. Otherwise, the very first casualty to go in my life is hope. This morning there's an invitation for him to come. If you, if you resonate with that, the same as me, that you realize that your hope is dying, your hope is waned, your hope is running out because of disappointments that you have faced or are facing in your life, then know that the Holy Spirit can come and help you. He can come and take away those disappointments. He can come and help you with the hurt. He can help you with the pain that those disappointments have brought and your hope can begin to burn bright again. I want us to to finish off this morning by reading about a, an older man who we find and look to. You're going to be thinking to yourself, is she not going to read part of the Christmas story this morning? So I am going to read part of the Christmas story this morning. Luke chapter 2. And we find in Luke 2, we find there's an old man whose hope has remained alive. And in his story, we find hope, promise, and expectation can live in the most unlikely of places. We find a man called Simeon. Simeon lived on the margins of life, unnoticed in his day, but preserved for us in scripture as an example of how to walk with God. Just after the birth of their child, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. This would have been part of the normal practice for Jewish parents. 
Remember earlier I told you that the presence of God had not moved into the temple yet, like it had in the previous one? Well, guess what? When Jesus comes into the temple in the arms of his mom and dad, the presence of God comes into the temple for the very first time. But only one man noticed. Only one man recognized the presence of God in this tiny baby Jesus. God entered this temple as a tiny, fragile, helpless baby. And only Simeon noticed them. See, the temple was a massive complex of buildings, a religious marketplace, and it was at the very center of the whole of Jewish life. This young couple would have came in and they weren't expecting anyone to notice them or anything else. They weren't special. They, there was nothing about Mary and Joseph that would have drawn anyone's attention to them. And they thought we'll be able to slip in, do what we need to do and come back out again. But instead they encountered a man who had patiently waited to see the promise of God fulfilled. Luke 2, 25 to 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon had a dynamic, real relationship with the Holy Spirit. In just three verses, the work of the Holy Spirit is highlighted three times. First of all, the scripture says the Holy Spirit was upon him in verse 25. Simeon's life was characterized by the presence of the Spirit in an abiding way. It was almost like to know Simeon, to talk with him, was to taste something of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you know people like that. Here's my advice. If you know people like that, hang about them more. Because it, like, it could rub off on you. It kind of does happen like that. I, I have people in my life that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are, who are filled with the kindness of God. And I just want to be around them. Because it's a wee bit like... Jason uses this story and this analogy quite often because he was badly behaved and I wasn't when I was growing up. But it's like his mum would know who he'd been hanging about with by his behaviour. My mum also did. I wasn't really that well behaved either. But um, you know you would say, I know who you've been with. I've said it to my boys before. I've gone, I know who you're hanging about with. You don't normally use bad language like that or whatever it is. But it's like that whenever we hang about with people who are filled with the Spirit of God. When we hang about with people who love Jesus passionately in their life, it rubs off on us. We begin to feel inspired by them, by encouraged by them, and it leads us closer to Jesus. This was Simeon. Second, the Holy Spirit had spoken to Simeon personally that he would not die until he had seen the Lord Christ. This is really important to notice. It wasn't the amount of studying in the Old Testament that could have led Simeon to that conclusion. This was personal. And what that tells us is, yes, Simeon would have studied the Old Testament, but even more than that, he trained his spirit to receive from God. He trained himself to hear from God. There is a way that we can lean in. We can tune ourselves into the Holy Spirit. 
We can leave our lives open to him so that we are more attuned and able to hear from him, just like Simeon. Can you imagine poor Simeon trying to explain to someone that he wasn't going to die until he saw the Messiah? Could you imagine people's reactions? I was trying to think about this this morning. I'm sure people thought he was just a bit loopy. You're thinking, no way, like, no way. Why, why would God tell you, you're just, you're just a random old man? Why would God possibly promise you that? Thirdly, Simeon followed the leading of the Holy Spirit in practical ways. It says he was moved by the Holy Spirit on that particular day at that partic- to go to that particular place at that particular time. Imagine Simeon had gone later. Literally, Mary and Joseph were coming in, presenting Jesus, and leaving again. Imagine he hadn't listened to the prompt of the Holy Spirit. Imagine that his life had been so consumed with whatever else was going on with him, whatever else had been happening or going on in his life, that he missed this window of opportunity that he had been longing and waiting for all his life. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe Simeon was really aware of the Spirit's direction. Maybe God spoke to him really super clearly that morning. This is what I like to think, that this is what happened with me, so I wouldn't miss it. That the Holy Spirit said, okay, Simeon, you're going to the temple. You're going to go into this certain room in the temple, and it's at five past six. But sometimes that isn't how God leads, is it? Sometimes... We, we go about our everyday life and we're going about our everyday things and our eyes are a wee bit up and looking around us and we're conscious of God moving in our lives and we're conscious of the Holy Spirit, but we're not completely zoned in. We're just going about our normal days. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of our normal days, we have this God encounter with someone. You bang into somebody. You just happen to be in that place at that time and you have this conversation. It happened to me the other day. I was in a supermarket. Claire had kidnapped me, which she does and doesn't bring me home until she does all her messages. And we were in the shop doing her messages. And I bang into someone and halfway through the conversation, I think, huh, this is a God moment. Did God tell me to go to cost cutters at quarter to one on Saturday afternoon? No. But afterwards, I realized that God was in it all along. And his prompting and his leading brought me to be in the right place at the right time. See, the more we are attuned to the Spirit, the more that we invite him into our lives, the more we have a friendship with the Holy Spirit and with God, then the more likely it is that we're going to have these God incidences. The more likely that we're just going to find ourselves in these situations like Simeon, where he's going to be in the right place, at the right time, at the right moment, to receive the promise that God had promised them. Simeon's relationship with the Holy Spirit placed him before baby Jesus. Simeon knew the moment had come and he declared, dismiss your servant in peace. He welcomes his death because he's experienced the faithfulness of God. He's witnessed the promise of God to Abraham, to Israel and to himself. Simeon was not disappointed. But how did he keep his hope alive in the years of waiting? How did he persevere when all around him nothing was changing? The key is his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in this Advent, we have an invitation from the Holy Spirit for him to permeate our lives. 
that we would allow him to rewire our hearts again for hope. That we would live our lives and step with him, left foot, right foot, in such a way that we find ourselves in places and with people divinely directed by him to be God's solution in that very moment. See, the partnership that God invites us into is completely mind-blowing, isn't it? That he would want us to partner with him. The faithfulness of God to that old man, Simeon. That he would see and recognize the Messiah. No one else in that temple. It would have been bustling and full of people. Not one other person in that temple. Not the priests, not the holiest people, not the Pharisees, not any of the rest of them recognized the, the actual physical presence of holy God in their midst except this one man who refused to give up hope. That's the invitation for us. 